0: You would go ahead and be seated uh, and know that today we are, we're starting a new series on the book of Ruth. Uh, we're only going to spend three weeks, which is not nearly enough time. We're going to highlight the three main characters of Naomi and Boaz and Ruth. This morning we're going to highlight uh, the, the character of Naomi. There is uh, there's an argument, I believe, that could be made that the, the book Ruth, although rightly named, uh, could have been named Naomi and what we're going to learn in this this whole series of messages is that that God has lavished his love on us. And within his love there is there's grace, there there is this mercy, there is hope. And and inside of each one of those there is ample amount for us for the remainder of our life and we can get more of it. God has supplied all that we need, more than what we can handle. And so as we walk through him in life, we're going to learn how it is we can gain more of what God alone can give. Now, if you if you are looking if you are looking beyond Christ for grace, for mercy, for hope, uh, this series is going to help you very much redirect your thinking and your beliefs to, to where God can bless you. There is no satisfaction in your soul apart from Jesus Christ. And so even though we are looking at an Old Testament text, we're really talking about Jesus. Because what you can see throughout the Bible is the single story of the truth of what God has done and what God is doing through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to study these very real people who lived in a very real difficult world, who had very real disappointments and challenges and pain, but who came to know and to trust the very real God Almighty. And in doing that, they were changed. So today, we're talking about grace. A lot of people have a lot of questions about grace. I get that. Today, there's a lot of teaching. This teaching is to help us gain a solid foundation in understanding what grace is and what grace does. Again, there is a great deal of confusion in our evangelical, that is, Christian culture today, about grace. And so I pray today that that we can get clarity on it. And I want to ask God's help. So would you pray with me as I ask God's help? Father, what we are about to examine is fundamental, but Lord, there have been um, things said that that are half-truths, not entire truths, meant and intended for, for good reason. But when we do anything outside of Your Word, it always ends badly. God, I want to teach Your Word rightly today, so help me. And Lord, what we are not, make us. And what we have not, give us. And what we know not, teach us. Oh Lord, let, let, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in Your sight. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God has given us more grace than we know what to do with. And His purpose in doing that was so that we would always know He's never shorthanded. There's always grace for every need and every challenge and every fall that we encounter in our walk with God. Uh, Today I want to talk to you who are believers, but I'm also mindful there are non-believers in our midst. And I want to encourage you Pay very close attention to what we're teaching and what is being said today about grace. God's grace is is it, it comes from His love, and He is. He has poured out His love. I love this image that we're using for this series. This is what God's love looks like. It's just pouring out. We can't hold it. It There's so much of it. And this love is filled with grace. And God's given us more grace than we can handle at any given moment in our lives. Uh, There's an Italian restaurant in Nashville that my family, uh, well, mostly me, I love love to go to. And one of the things I love about it is not only that it's good food, but it's how much food they give you. All right, they give you so much food. A part of their plan is when you are saying to them, please bring no more. No more. We can't handle it. They start bringing bags so that you could take home the food. The the part of the plan is them knowing you're not going to be able to handle everything we're going to feed you. We're going to go ahead and know you're going to have to take leftovers. We're giving you more than you can handle in this moment. And so it is with the grace of God. There is no end to the grace of God. There is more than you can even receive or even understand in this given moment. There is enough grace to give you peace and confidence and hope the remainder of your life. And, and what God wants us to do is He wants us to grow in Christ so that we can receive more grace. Now, the book of Ruth is a story. It reveals the, the situations in which we get more grace. Now, the story of Ruth is meant to be understood in its entirety. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. It's a very short book. Read it once or twice every day for the next week. And and I'm asking you to do that because, again, I'm going to today, and we're going to focus on chapter one. We're going to focus on this part of the story that really rallies around Naomi. And I believe an argument could be made that the book of Ruth be called the book of Naomi because she is certainly a hero in this text. What we see through, through the life of Naomi is grace being revealed to Ruth, and this grace is truly great. And, and to understand it, we, we've got to look at the whole thing. Now we're going to be in chapter one, and so what we see happening in chapter one is basically the setup. We see uh, Naomi being led by her husband Elimelech with her two sons in a land away from God, and so they are leaving God. They are no longer going to trust in God. They're going to go into a place uh, in Moab, away from God and His promises. Now, the names of these boys uh, of of this couple are pagan names, which gives us an indication that that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, is probably not a believer. And so she is being faithful, and she's walking with and under the authority of her husband. And it's going to cause problems. It's going to cause pain. And then with her son's decisions, there's going to be this responsibility that lands on her. They marry Moabite women. So they're following in their father's footsteps. And so I say to you, Dad, be so careful how you live. Your children are going to catch more than you teach them. More is caught than taught and know that they're going to often walk in your footsteps. Your daughter's going to marry men like you, and your sons are going to become men after your, your own pattern. And so be so careful, man. These boys, they followed in the footsteps of their father. They married Moabite women, and then they died. Naomi's husband dies. The three, the two sons die. And so now, here is here's Naomi caught in this precarious position with responsibility for these two women. Orpah and Ruth. Now, there comes a point where Naomi realizes I'm in the wrong place. I got to get back to God. And so she makes a decision that she's going to return and basically says to her daughters-in-law, you guys go do what you want to do. Ruth makes a decision. She makes a decision to become a disciple of the one true God. And she makes an unbelievable unbelievable confession of faith, and, and, and it's one that that every true disciple of Jesus will make. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Gabrielle's going to come and read for us um, verses 15 through 18. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And what she's reading here is Ruth's confession of faith as she is now responding to the opportunity to, to follow uh, her mother-in-law, Naomi. If you would, read that for us. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you. You would go ahead and be seated. God gives one grace. There are two applications of that grace. There's a lot of confusion about this. I'm not going to spend too much time. I want to make sure you really at least get the terminology and then go back and do study yourself. There is one grace. God gives grace. It comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. This grace that God gives, it comes to us by faith in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are two implications for this grace. For those who believe, the moment we believe, grace gives us justification. It's an important word We are justified. What is justification? Quick, easy uh, definition. Justification is God's action pronouncing sinners righteous in His sight. This is a judicious act. God is making us something. He is proclaiming it as a reality. We are given a right standing position with God by grace. This grace that comes through Christ in our faith. We are justified. Now, when we are justified, understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about an experience that happens at the moment of salvation. June 28, 1988. I got on my knees. I repented of my sins. In that moment, I was justified. I was made right with God. We we understand we understand this idea of justification using the three circles. I I I cannot encourage you enough to to spend time to memorize this, to know this, it's online, it's everywhere, get this. Because to be saved, you have to come to a point where you make a decision, and that decision is one that is by faith, and you are justified. Here's what we know. God's design is that we be in harmony with Him, with self, and with others. That's not our situation, is it? Now, we live in a broken world. We are born with a broken relationship with God, broken sense of identity, unsure of ourselves, and causing brokenness in in relationships and realities all around us. And all of that comes from sin. People from time to time will ask you, why do bad things happen to good people? The answer, sin. This is not God's design. God's design is life and life and hope and peace and all the good things that, that we can experience. Why all the pain? Why all the brokenness? Our sin. Now, God did not leave us in sin. Instead, God entered into our world, which is what we celebrated with the Lord's Supper just a moment ago, and He became one of us so we could be like Him. The gospel, the good news, is that God became flesh, lived a holy life, died for our sins, on the third day was raised, and is going to return again. That's the gospel. And for those who want to say, you know what, I'm going to do life my way. I want to make my own rules. I want to I want to chart my own course and, and walk my own path. That is your decision. There's no hope in it. There's no hope in it. Because sooner or later, you're not going to have the strength. Sooner or later, whatever you're counting on is going to fail. Jesus Christ is the only hope. And and it's because of His grace we can repent. And what that means is we, we turn away. We return to God. We turn away from a life under our own authority. And instead, we believe that Jesus Christ died and has been raised. And now we can recover and pursue God's design. Now, the moment we do that, we are justified. We are made righteous before God. It happens in an immediate moment. And it's based upon Christ's merit, not ours. Please know, the only thing anybody anybody who is saved brings to their salvation is sin. We don't bring merit. We don't bring works of righteousness. We don't bring anything that would make God say, oh yeah, I definitely want you on my team. There's nothing about us that makes us worthy to be on God's team, to be a part of His family. The only way we can be made right with God is by grace through faith. And the moment we, we exert the faith that He gives to us, we are justified. This justification is eternal in its origin and its effect. Our holy God gives us a holy standing. We are justified. We are made right. And grace, that's one, one thing, one implication of grace. There's a second. Not only does God's grace justify us, God's grace sanctifies us. There is a justification. There is a sanctification. Justification happens in the moment when you first believe. Sanctification happens the rest of your life. Let me return a... Well, let's get a quick definition. Sanctification is a process. Don't forget that word process. It's a process. It's, it's going to happen over and over by which one's moral condition is brought into conformity. Look at this with one's legal status before God. Remember, justification is a judicious act by God where He tells us and proclaims us to be holy by grace. We're justified. Sin is pardoned. We are now in a right standing with God. Sanctification is the process where our life begins to look like the holy person Jesus died for us to be. It is a process. We are sanctified by the gospel. Let me show you again. Let's go back to three circles. When we think about salvation, justification, we understand we have to repent and believe the gospel so we can recover and pursue God's design. Now, once we begin to pursue and recover God's design and and we begin to get closer to God, what happens? We become more aware of sin. The closer you get to God, the more aware of your sin you become. The further you are away from God, the less aware you are of your sin. If you can live comfortably in sin, it's because you're far from God. As a matter of fact, Some of you are dead to God. You are so far from God, you're not even alive to the reality of who He is and what He's done. You have an idea or an image of Him, but until you are justified, you can never pursue the one true God. But when you do begin to pursue the one true God, you're going to become more aware of your sin and the brokenness you're causing. And what is the right response? It's the response that we had in the Lord's Supper just a moment ago. When we say, Holy Spirit, examine my heart. Is there any attitude or action of sin? If so, what did we do? We repented of that sin, not for salvation, but for sanctification not to be made right with God. We're already right with God by grace through faith in Christ alone. We are now being conformed to the image of His Son as we understand our sin and brokenness. We repent, we believe in the gospel, the power of God to conform us to the image of Christ, and we recover and pursue God's design in a more practical, active way, which will do what? The closer you get to God, the more sinful you realize you are. This is a process that you will continue in all the days of your life. Justification is immediate. Sanctification is a process. Justification is based entirely upon the merit of Christ. Our sanctification is, is, is based entirely upon the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Sanctification is holy in its origin and effect. Justification makes us right with God. We become saintly. Sanctification allows us to live out what it means to be a saint. So understand, when we're talking about grace, we're talking about a single reality that has two implications. To be justified is to be saved. To be sanctified is to become more and more holy. And God has given us grace. And He calls us to experience this grace more and more throughout our life. And Ruth shows us how we get more grace. Ruth shows us the circumstances we will often go through to experience more of this grace and become more like Christ. That is to be sanctified. Maybe even for some of you today, to be justified. But to understand your standing with God is not right. By faith today, you can be saved. And Ruth's story helps us understand how that works. Take note, we get more grace when we suffer for someone else's sin when we suffer for someone else's sin. Let's remember what the story of Ruth is about. It's about a woman who was led away from the land of God, the promised land of God, where there was peace and the promises of God because of the sin of another into a faraway place where restoration and redemption was needed. The human race was in the place of God, the land of God. It's called the Garden of Eden. But what happened? There was sin, and that sin has caused all of us now to be vanquished from that, that place that we were made for. And so now we are living in the land of Moab. We are living in the place of, of, of far from God, but not too far for His grace. Ruth was was led, I'm sorry, Naomi was led by her husband, Elimelech. She was led away. It was his sin. It was her son's sin that, that led her to be in this precarious position where now she has responsibility for Orpah and Ruth, these two women. What a terrible place to be in. Here she is. Now, we don't know to what extent she affirmed her, her husband and her son's decisions. We don't know. But we do know at their death, she realized, this is bad. Where I am is in a bad place. Now, we know that God sustained her. We know that as you read the whole story, you'll see that even in today, you'll see how God sustained her though her husband and her son's sinful decisions impacted her. Please note, she wasn't happy. Look in verses 19-22, through specifically in verse 20. The word Naomi, the name Naomi means sweet. Having gone through this experience, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. The name Mara means bitter. Don't name your daughter Mara. Name her Naomi, (laughs) if you have the choice. You're not always going to be happy, friends. People are going to hurt you. You're going to make decisions that are bad. Other people are going to make decisions that are bad. Hey, Naomi wasn't perfect. We know she sinned. She was in that situation because of the sins of her husband and her sons. God didn't abandon her. No, God was there. Even though she was suffering for someone else's sin, she found grace. She found this this wonderful, wonderful grace. We have to be so careful with our attitudes towards God in life when we suffer. Be so careful. And, and the best way to be is to believe and to understand God has a plan for this. If you're in a situation right now and you are discouraged and you're down and you're mad, maybe it's because of what you did, maybe it's because someone else did, but you're in the land of the Moabites and and you're frustrated. Listen, God is not abandoning you. God has a plan for your life. He will get you through it. This week I was uh, teaching a group of pastors at an event, and as I was teaching, a pastor raised his hand and said, "I'm just compelled. Can I can I share my story?" I said, "Brother Stan." Share your story," he said. "I was I was the son of an alcoholic father. My mother was a godly woman. Because the actions of my father caused great harm, my mother divorced him, and we left. and We had to move in in another city with a godly family, with some friends that my mother knew, friends of their family. And I was I was I was heartbroken, but I saw something I needed to see. He said, "My mom worked three day three jobs a week, three jobs." I almost never saw her. But what I did see was a godly man and a godly wife showing kindness to a broken family. He said church was mandatory. And he said, I found myself loving it. And he said, as a young person, I was saved. He said, I didn't know a lot, but I began to grow. And he said, I became sanctified. God called me to the ministry. And he said, now I can tell you, 38 years in the ministry, many, many decades after coming to Saving Faith, God changed my heart, I forgave my dad, and and now I have peace in my life because of the grace of God. Would he have chosen to have an alcoholic father? Would he have chosen for his parents to be divorced? Would he have chosen this life? No. No. It may very well be that you have not chosen your life. But please understand, you're not a victim. No, you don't get to choose the family you're born in. No, you don't get to choose the city you were raised in. You do get to choose how you'll respond. You are not a victim. You have the responsibility and the power to choose. Choose wisely. There is enough grace to overcome the sin that you have caused or the sin of someone else. God gives saving grace. He gives sanctifying grace. He's got a plan. He will use your pain, all of it, for good. Trust God's power. Trust God's plan. That's the second thing. We get more grace when we trust in God's provision. God, got to trust verses 6 and 7. Naomi thought to return to God's people and depend on God's provision. See, God, God's grace, He shows us when we're, when, we're, when we're not supposed to be. If you're a child of God, if you're living in sin, you will never live there at peace. You may choose to live there, but you will not have the peace of God. If the Spirit of God is truly in your life, that spirit, he will not allow you peace in your sin. If you can live comfortably in your sin, you are very far from God. You may even be dead to God. You may not be justified at all. Naomi, she realized I'm in the wrong place. I gotta get back. God has provided. I be the way. I need to walk in this way. I need to get where God is providing. I need to get where God is at work in the world. And, and if you are today, if you are not where you're supposed to be spiritually, if you are not living a godly life, wake up. Wake up and understand you got to make a choice. You got to get back to where you belong. You got to get home with God. You've got to you got to pursue his grace. You know, you you think about the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Don't be like him. Don't get to the point of, of where you're at the very, very bottom before you will look up. That boy got to the very bottom. Now, did he wake up? Yeah, verse 17 and 18 in Luke 15. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Look at this repentance. I have sinned against heaven and before you he goes, he repents. That's what you guys need to do today. You need to say, tell me for the first time, God, I repent. I'm so sorry. The life I've been living has been apart from you. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. Take over my life. I'm going to pursue you. I want to come to you. I want to follow in your footsteps. Some of you are justified. Today, God is calling you to be Sanctified. He's calling you out of a life of sin, of out of disobedience, and he's calling you to the narrow way, to that place where God's people walk. Is it an easy way? No. Jesus said in in Matthew chapter seven, beginning in verse thirteen, enter by the narrow gate. That's justification. When you enter by the narrow gate, you enter into a life with Christ. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow. And look at this. And the way is hard. That leads to life, and those who find it are few. The way of sanctification is hard. You're going to have to trust. You're going to have to obey. You're going to have to be available to the Spirit of God to move as He sees fit. To trust in God, you've got to know the Word of God. You've got to know the grace of God. You've got to focus on God's work in the world. You must be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You can't do that apart from the Spirit, apart from the Word, apart from your willingness to look to God in prayer. Are you praying? Are you in the Word? Are you, are you obeying? You claim to be a child of God and you're not. You're, you're not where you're supposed to be. You're not a child of God. There is grace and abundance if you want to come home. He will allow you to come home. You've got to trust Him, though. And to get more grace, look at this. If we get more grace when we live godly lives among godless people. And that's what Ruth did. Somehow, some way, God sustained her faith. You say, how do you know God sustained her faith? Because we can see what she said to her daughter-in-law. Look at verses 8 and 9. Look what she says to them. Look at the blessings she gives. She evokes the covenant name of God. She could have used the, the covenant name of, of the gods of Moab. That's not what she did. She's saying, look, I know that you're not a disciple of, of my God. But go back to your God and may my God, the one true God, and I love this word, show you kindness. That's the word tested It's the it's the it's the covenant loving kindness of God. It is an abiding kindness. It's unmerited. It's given freely by grace, and 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 she brings this name. And we don't know what kind of witness Naomi was. But I'm gonna tell you something. She wasn't perfect. There was something about that woman's life that led Ruth to say, I'm going to leave the old life I knew. I'm going to leave what I've been comfortable with. I'm going to leave the gods of my family. I am going to repent. And I am going to pursue an entire new way of life I don't fully understand. I'm going to become a part of a people that don't know me. I'm leaving this, and I'm going to follow you. That is faith. That is faith saving faith. That's what God calls all of us to. We leave a life that we know and we think we're in control of, and we think we got it all figured out, and we say, no, 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 I'm going to follow you, God. God calls us to be like No Naomi. For those of you who believe, listen, God, doesn't, God knows you and I aren't perfect. But He does call us in our places to provide salt and light. Friends, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are we are called in all of our difficult circumstances to show what it looks like when a disciple of Jesus goes through that difficult circumstance. What are you going through? Be salt. Be light. God can use this. God is using this. God will use this. And don't make the mistake ever. Never. Ever. Define God's love based on your circumstances. No, no, no. Let God's love define your, your circumstances. let see everything through God's love. I read Blackaby every morning. I want to share with you what Blackaby says. He says, if you base your view of God's love on your circumstances, you will become confused. And some of you right now today, you're very confused, and here's why. Because you're wondering, where's God? There may be times when you ask, how could a loving God allow this to happen to me? You may begin to question what you find clearly stated in the Word of God. God promised that you would never be separated from love. Now, look at this. He did not say that you would never face hardship, persecution, poverty, or danger. If you doubt that God could love you and still allow you to experience difficult experiences, consider the life of Christ. Consider the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ was in the center of God's will when He suffered. Suffering is not a sign that you're out of the will of God. Sometimes suffering is a sign that you're directly and exactly where God wants you to be so that the rest of the world can see what it looks like when a saint suffers. We all suffer. What does it look like when a child of light, when a, a child of God suffers? Is it different? Listen, we we, we have a responsibility to God to, to be those who suffer. Preach sermons with our lives. Parents, you are preaching sermons to your children every day. What does it look like on a morning when your children are being hostile and difficult and you're in a hurry? What does it look like for a saint to have to deal with those people, your children? That's what they're looking at. What, what does it look like, young people, to be at your school in your circumstance? And be salt and light. The world is watching. Young adults, adults, what does it look like to live in your neighborhood, to work at your job with all of its difficulties and stress, and be salt and light? You are preaching a sermon with your life. What is the constant of that sermon? I can only be happy. I can only be satisfied if everything goes my way. I can can only have confidence if I win every time. I can only be confident if, if everything around me is the way I want it to go. the way of the world. The way of the child of God says, Though he slay me, yet I will love and obey and follow him still. He is my God. He is my rock. He is my hope. My circumstances do not define me. My God's love defines me and everything I'm going through because I trust Him. Preach that sermon. Preach that sermon because the roots of the world need it. Be that Naomi. You're not going to be perfect. It's not going to go the way you want it. The Lord is with you. And what He wants to do through your life is lead others to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. Write it down. We get more grace when we lead others to anchor their hope and their life in Jesus. So Naomi, sharing the gospel in her way of life, somehow gets root uh, by the power of the Spirit, I can assure you, to repent and believe. Now understand, Naomi did not communicate cheap grace. The second great awakening and much of the 20th century practices of the church created something that we need to be very sensitive to and very aware of. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book I'm going to I'm going to am going to put the cover of the book on on social media here in a little bit. The, the name of the book is called the, the Cost of Discipleship. And in the very first pages of this book, he introduces a concept known as cheap grace. Jesus does not offer cheap grace. What is cheap grace? Here's what Barnhofer says. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything, they say, and so everything can remain as it was before. Let the Christian live like the rest of the world. Let him model himself on the world's standards in every sphere of life. There are so many so-called Christians who say, oh, I made a decision when I was a kid. I know I can't lose that salvation. I can live like hell and still not go there because I got in my back pocket this time when I said this prayer. And so I know that I know and I'm good. I don't know, guys. I don't know. Here's what I'm grateful for I'm grateful that it's not my job to decide. Early on, when I was a, a disciple of Christ, I wasn't yet a, I was just over a year old in my faith. I went on a trip. And on that trip, with some other leaders, we were evangelizing an area where we were sharing the gospel with children and their families. And many of them made decisions. They made decisions. And we filled out cards about their decisions. The last thing we did before we left that trip was to attend worship at this church. I was so excited that morning. Because, see, I was naive enough to believe that the Great Commission said that we are to make disciples and to baptize them and teach them to observe all things God had commanded. So that next morning, I was looking forward to seeing these children and their families at church being baptized. Not one of them was there. So I went to the leader and I said, I'm confused. Why aren't they here? And he said, well, son, I want you to understand A lot of the people who make decisions through this ministry, they don't really walk the Christian life, but you'll see them one day in heaven. They were saved. I didn't say it, but in my heart I said that's not true. I have have lived the remainder of my Christian life constantly afraid that I would ever let a sinner lost in sin think that they were saved when they weren't. There's a difference between making a decision and you doing something that you think earns your right with God and becoming a disciple of Jesus. Someone who says, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's Jesus' place to decide. So let me tell you what Jesus said. This is Matthew 7 again. Look what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then, will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart me from you workers of lawlessness. Those of you who are against the law, who refuse to live under the law of love of God, and decided you want to live whatever way you wanted to live, rather than under the authority of Jesus Christ. The confession of Ruth was not of cheap grace. Look look in verses 15 and 18 again. Look at what she says here. She says, I will follow you no matter what. She said, I will engage your people. They will be my people. She said, I will remain faithful to you till the day I die. This is the confession of a disciple of Jesus who's been justified by grace. Here's what you say to Jesus. You say... You are my God. I will follow you. Your people will be my people. And I will be with you to the day I die. Is that your confession? Is that your lifestyle? Are you a person who says, I have been justified by grace, I'm now being sanctified by grace. Can I show you real quick why you can have the confidence to know that you can have this? Look back at your outline. I hope you took notes. How can we be absolutely sure that we know that we know? It's because of Jesus. Look at this. He suffered for our sins. He trusted in God's provision. He lived a godly life among godless people. He leads us to anchor our life and hope in Him but we must choose it. We must choose this way. We must repent and believe. Some of you need to do that today. Some of you are justified already, but you're far from God. You need to come home. You need to come get on your knees right now and you need to say, Lord, I am not not living the way you've called me to. Forgive me. I'm going to abide in you. I'm going to obey you. Some of you are far from God. Come get on your knees and be saved. Some of you know a Ruth or a Naomi. They're in dangerous places in the world right now. They are far from God, and they need your prayers. They need you to not only pray for them, but then to let them know that you love them and that you're praying for them. I want to invite you to do that right now. So let's stand to our feet. Lord God, I know some right now need to come and get on their knees and say, Lord, take them over my life. I want to follow you. And this is justification for them. They are being justified by grace and being saved. Others are already saved, but they need to come today and say, Lord, I need to be more faithful in this area of my life. Sanctify me. I trust you. And Lord, there's some who need to come today and say, Lord, I want to lift up to you this name of this person that that I know you love and that I love very much. Please bless them. Please open their eyes. Lord, it's grace. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. It's grace that justifies and sanctifies. Hear the prayers of those who are counting on your grace. To do a miracle. Come and pray as we sing of grace.